Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. In each episode, our special guest brings with them a movie that traumatized them as a child. This week, our guest is J.M. Brandt, one of the writers of the new comic series, Swamp Dogs. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Finally, right? Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but okay, so one of the things we like to do at the start is kind of figure out how you got introduced to horror. So how what w- what was the thing that brought you into the horror genre? Sure. Um, well, um, I, I don't want to spoil the story too much, uh, <laughs> because it, it has to do with the movie that I brought with. But um, I guess my mom was my gateway drug to horror. Okay. She was a big horror fan. Her mom before her was also a horror fan so it was sort of in the lineage and um just being negligent parents in the the content that i consumed uh sort of uh led me to it i that seems to be like a a trend that that like we either get the uh parents kind of introduced us to it or everything was like locked down and so we found it on our own type of storylines right and right yeah yeah it's it's kind of um it's it's almost like the 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 person that's not allowed to drink before they turn twenty one. They go away to school, and all of a sudden they become like a rager. Um, okay, <laughs> it was me. Point two self. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. Yeah. That, was, that was me. My freshman year of college was woo. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely like two paths to liferdom, and and uh, yeah, it's definitely if it's verboten. Um, I could see it being like an obsession, but, uh, no, I, I was indoctrinated. 
uh, very early. <laughs> so what was your first horror movie? Was it the one we're talking about today or was it a different one? No, it, you know, I, I've been trying to figure out exactly what my first like beginning to end horror movie was. Mm-hmm. And I honestly couldn't tell you. Um, I know the first one that I saw in the movie theater was Bram Stoker's Dracula. Oh, wow. Uh, the, the Francis yeah. Ford Coppola movie. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, so I was uh, like eight at the time for that one. Um, but wow. I had definitely seen horror movies before that also. Wait, what a, what a wild experience for an eight-year-old with Bram Stoker's Dracula. That's like the horniest, yeah. that's like the horniest horror movie of all fucking time. <laughs> I, I know. I have, I have some very weird kinks. Thank you. Thank you, Gary Oldman. Thank you, Gary Oldman. <laughs> I mean, Same. you know, if, if we're on the spectrum, I, I'm pretty straight. I'm pretty far to the end of the heteros spectrum but um i still have a soft spot slash hard spot for gary oldman dracula look yeah. wait which one old or young <laughs> oh. <laughs> that's a really good question <laughs> it's important to have clarity here or it could be both. yes yes it could no be both. okay no shame it could be both yeah no no i um i'm a bit of an ageist so i'm going young okay. you know something about like those rounded sunglasses oh. the the goatee the long hair the accent like uh, all I of it it's smoldering too much it's too much for my heart okay. i'm recording a yeah, podcast so. i have to say <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure that i've seen all of that movie oh um i recommend it i mean it's so good it's not what i think horror fans wanted to see yeah. but it's kind of what we needed to see oh my God. um it's it's so beautiful and and there's so much weirdness to the movie that you kind of forget over the years like the the transitions and there's like um all these like weird models and it's like it's it's, it's so it's wild. wild it's so campy and horny and yeah. incredible like it is just <laughs> i watched so my fiance had never seen it we watched it a couple months ago and i was and i hadn't watched it in a mm. while and i was like oh my god this movie really is so horny this is yeah so much and I love but it. that's also why my my parents didn't let me watch oh, it. Is that yeah. it was so horny? Oh, yeah. And this is blasphemy. This is not the Dracula I knew. This isn't Bella Lugosi. That was my dad. Oh no. So yeah. So I never. Also, Keanu, I don't think I ever saw it. Keanu Reeves is a terrible accent. But we can get yeah. off of Bram Stoker's. <laughs> I just love that movie so much. It's so good. So I am. I am curious since because you, you are a writer. Were you interested in in horror um, books, or did, did 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 the literature side keep up with your horror movie side? Or yeah, yeah. Um, I I, I want to say with the reading. It really started out with like fantasy. Mm-hmm. I kind of didn't like. Um, I kind of didn't go in for books period until i was sort of let loose on my own in a library and i discovered those like dungeons and dragons choose your own adventure books and i was all about those love those ones where you had to roll dice and stuff yeah yeah that's And, and uh (laughs) and uh yeah but but i mean like it started getting darker as as time went on um i i was also really into like mythology um Uh. so any book about greek myths roman myths nordic myths uh i i was just all over that stuff so don't get a nerd out about D &D and fantasy books that often but (laughs) um so you said that that you were interested in like the the D &D choose your own adventure books did you ever branch out into all the like tsr uh dungeon dragons novels yeah, okay. So, um 
nerds yes i know no i'm I'm like a self-hating nerd so um i i tread lightly i got really into like pen and paper okay role-playing uh around junior high yeah i I played dungeon world oh okay sorry all right i swore off it i i haven't i haven't uh role-played in like 25 years or something but it's cool it's cool again it's just like, it's, yes, no, it's, no, no, I know, cool. I know. It's, cool. I, like, it's so funny that, like, <laughs> it's cool now to play art. I know. I, I, I have so many friends that are just trying to rope me in. They're like, <laughs> check this one out. Like, this might be more your speed. And then I have a cousin who's uh, famous for his uh, sort of outsider weirdo art stuff who got into it recently and, mm. and started trying to get me into it. So uh, we'll we'll see. I I have a feeling it's going to come back. But uh yeah, to to answer your question, Terry, I was into the TSR books. Uh, I started with some Dragonlance books yes! and then Dragonlance. But then uh <laughs> here's here's where horror comes back around. Um I got really into Ravenloft. Ravenloft, yes. And so I was all about role-playing Ravenloft. <laughs> Me too. I bought all the Ravenloft books. Me too. I had that um fake tarot deck ravenloft and and i i would read people's fortunes in junior high using those and uh yeah and and just from age 12 to 14 uh it was all the ravenloft novels hell yeah i read all of those ravenloft novels i would voraciously dive into them and then go to the bookstore and get another one i love Mm -hmm. those books so much i haven't read them since i was a kid but was a good a number of them. Mm-hmm. I feel like maybe a dozen or so. Probably sounds about right. Okay. Yeah, I'm looking it yeah. up right now. Boy, they might be garbage. I, I, I haven't. Re- I still. I still have one or two. I haven't reread them in in a I'm long time. I'm pretty sure they were garbage, but um, <laughs> they they were entertaining for me. Like I I was a huge into like all that shit. Dragonlance was my favorite. I still I still okay. have like, a soft spot for Dragonlance, and mm-hmm. then but I dipped into Forgotten Realms, Raven. Was my whole thing once I realized that there was like a horror thing that was both fantasy right. and horror. Like, boom, yeah, perfect, yeah, yeah. I, I I always felt like maybe you could tell somebody's personality based on which module they like to play or or live in. And um, so me, it was Ravenloft, and I, I was kind of like not not to not to shit on you or anything, but I was kind of very anti Dragonlance, even though there were some really good stories that came out of it, but it just seemed too mm, stereotypical and i and even then I was very self conscious about the way that I portrayed myself, so I was like, oh, I'm like the d and d hipster, I like dark Sun, I like Raven oh, dark Sun was great I'm to interested play. in Spelljammer, you know the, yeah what did i know <laughs> <laughs> well i will say that for me the Dragonlance book started and stopped with tracy hickman and margaret weiss like those the 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 spring winter those ones and the ones surrounding that initial group of people i was all about and then after that i was okay. like i'm done i don't want any any of this other stuff <laughs> the one that made a real impact on me was um i can't remember his name now but it's like the most famous wizard in all of dragon yes and and it was like the book of his life yep um that one really stuck with me and i, I remember that being sort of my favorite out of all he of was them. my favorite character he was the one that i i loved the most and i so he was a really deep character or at least that novel made him very deep Mm -hmm. and gave him layers that i wasn't expecting out of something so um 
dragons and armor and uh, swords, uh, you know, just generic high fantasy tropes, yeah. right? Yeah, absolutely. It absolutely is. But it was like scratching that itch when I was a young kid, for sure. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I feel like we could talk about this and Mary Beth's just like, yep, this is a thing. I'll, I'll talk about whatever you want to talk about. <laughs> you guys want to talk basketball? I, could, I can do that, too. Oh, I don't know anything about sports ball. I, I watched, <laughs> Both I did, of you shook your head I at the watched, same time. <laughs> I watched a basketball documentary yesterday, so that was fun. Uh, there you go. Okay, what, what what documentary? Malice at the Palace. What was about Malice at the oh, Palace? Oh God! Right. Okay. Yeah, that is bananas. It was bananas. Like I haven't watched any of the documentaries, but um, I was there. Like I, I watched it on TV. I watched it happen. It was Whoa. pretty crazy. Well, you really can't talk about anything. But we should, we're getting off track. <laughs> yeah. We're getting off track. Okay. <laughs> where, where are we? So, <laughs> <laughs> when you were, when you were a kid and did did horror movies scare you? Yeah, oh yeah. Uh, um yes. I I've become really jaded over time. Okay. Uh it is really really rare for something to scare me now and I feel like part of the reason I consume as much horror as I do is sort of chasing that dragon, right? Uh th that's that's like the holy grail is like the movie that can scare JM. <laughs> but yes, uh movies movies would scare me, horror movies would scare me. Um, I was an easily scared child, okay. even though I loved horror. Mm -hmm. uh, so a lot of the fantasy movies I grew up with in the 80s would scare the shit out of me, too. Um, Labyrinth scared me. D Dark Crystal scared me. Return of Oz scared me. Oh, yeah. like, well, I mean, like, <laughs> like that should freak me out when I've watched it for the first time in, in my late 20s. So. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. No, no. Other than Labyrinth, we have discussed both of those on the podcast as things that have scared people growing up. So you're you're, oh, in, really? you're in good company. Yeah. We've even okay. talked about yeah. like the last unicorn terrifying people. Uh, okay. Yeah. That, that's not one that I've actually, I haven't seen that one yet at all. <gasps> like, I, I feel you like everybody has. I, I know. I know. Every, everybody has like, uh, I, I want to say three to five out of the ten fantasy 80s movies like mm -hmm. in, in their lineup and then they just never branched out i have never met anybody that grew up with all of them and so i didn't have legend i didn't have less unicorn mm. but i had never ending story and oh, that also and fucked labyrinth people up that oh yeah yeah <sighs> yes and uh, to this day i will say that labyrinth is genuinely scary and the thing that scares me the most is the happy ending um, you know, it's been so long since I, that that was like a oh, okay. a staple for me. Like uh, I used to watch right. that all the time as a kid, partly because as a closeted queer person, I was like, David Bowie is really beautiful. Yeah, yeah, and and the bulge <laughs> and the you bulge. Can't forget the bulge. Yes, exactly. I was like, I which which, as we find out, uh, watching Man Who Fell to <laughs> Earth is all Bowie. That is all Bowie. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, no, no. L Labyrinth, um, at the very end, spoiler alert for 35-year-old movie, um, she's in a mirror talking about how much she misses everybody, and all the puppets start coming one by one into the mirror, and then she goes like, well, how am I gonna find you? And she turns around, and they're all in her room. I still find that mm. horrifying. That, like, that is kind of horrifying. there were a bunch horrifying. of weird, freaky Muppets in my room... <laughs> 
that. <laughs> You'd be like, get the fuck out. Um, I don't I didn't want to have anything yeah. to do with you in the first place. Get the fuck away from me. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, but yeah, so so in answer to your question, yes, I, I did get scared by horror movies uh, very much. Okay. And so then you also said that you're jaded now, which we can both relate to, and that it's sort of, sort of like the holy grail of finding the movie that would scare JM. So what is the last right. movie that has done that to you? The last movie that I had to turn on the lights for was The Orphanage. Okay. I was watching it alone in my apartment, uh, probably like 2007 or so. Yep. And um, yeah, yeah, I couldn't get through the whole movie in the dark alone. I went to go see that in the movie theater with my bro brother and Mm -hmm. uh, eyeballed like a baby in that movie. It's heartbreaking it's so heartbreaking it's it's it's, it's, i mean it's genuinely a a masterpiece it's uh it's it's beautiful it's terrifying it's uh terribly sad have you seen a mary beth that's so good oh it's so good it it gets uh five jm stars so it's worth checking out (laughs) (laughs) uh but yeah so that's the last one okay wow so it's been a while. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And considering I've seen a thousand plus horror movies, it's 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 really tough to come by. Okay. Okay. So I, I also have a question because like uh this movie gets brought up an awful lot. So I'm curious, have you seen uh Terrified? Not Terrifier, but Terrified. No, I haven't. Oh. You should go watch that one. Watch that's on Shutter. Okay. It's on Shutter. It's, if you have Shutter, you should go it's on it's, yeah. I do have Shutter. It's okay. it's on there. Right. It's um Argentinian, I think. Yeah. It's um it's probably the one of the few movies that, as an adult, has, like, rocked me to my core. So, Ooh, be curious to okay. see if that one uh, affected you at all. Consider it done. Uh, that's, <laughs> it's a that's my homework for this month, yeah. and and I will let you know. So, Jam, then what draws you to the horror genre now as an adult? You know, that's a really good question. I actually, earlier today, went to the movie theater for, like, the third time since the pandemic started. What uh, And I saw X. God! Damn it! Everyone's fucking seen X before me. I'm sorry. I'm very excited to see it's it. Okay. I'm very, I'm very. Excited. It was good. It was good. Um, I, I'm actually a little bit worried about backlash for my book because of X, because there are certain things that happen in the movie that happen in issues that haven't come out yet, oh. and so I don't want to be accused of um, aping Ty West. But well, people, hope I, people would know really that good. like comic books don't just come out like that quickly. It wasn't, it wasn't like yeah, we're not south park or anything <laughs> right yeah <laughs> like we're we're not just like scanning the headlines for yeah <laughs> yeah or we we just feed a bunch of speed to our artists and <laughs> like, get to work uh yeah no um it was really good though so it got me thinking about what draws me to horror in the mm. first place and uh it is um I have this weird philosophy that people should expose themselves to whatever they feel capable of exposing themselves to. It goes back to smoking way too much weed as a teenager and having this mystical revelation that we're all sense reporters for yeah. some cosmic consciousness. Uh, <laughs> I know, right? Fuck yeah. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah, so, so I have the stomach for it, and so it is something that I will expose myself to. Uh, for the greater benefit of everybody. Hell yeah. Huh. Yeah. Wow. That's a cool response. <laughs> Bet you weren't expecting that answer. <laughs> no. I wasn't. And I'm glad you gave it to That's like very different than I think we've heard before. And I love that. That's so cool. Mm-hmm. 
Well, thanks. Yeah. Thanks. Um, yeah, no, you know, it's just, it's, it's really fun. You know, I, I took some, uh, classes on horror in college and, uh, read some philosophy of horror. And, uh, the, the idea is that the appeal of horror is that you're in a safe space and it allows you to envision this, um, like the the most gnarly visceral version of the id that you could possibly have yeah. uh in in a safe zone and and i i subscribe to that you know like yeah. i want to see what it looks like for somebody to be chopped into a million pieces uh but not actually have it happen because i have a heart so <laughs> yeah it's always funny like my, my co-workers will will be surprised that i'm i get queasy at the side of real blood and i don't like any of that kind of stuff but i will gladly go see someone get chopped up well, right. <laughs> I have the same problem. I can't watch war movies. And people are like, what the fuck? Oh. You love horror movies. I'm like, it's so different, though. Like, it's mm. so different. Yeah. It's just like a very, because the war movies are re- like more real to me in my head. And it's just, it's not the same. It's a, It sounds right. bizarre, but it just, it's like, it's yeah. very different in my brain in terms of that kind of violence and gore. Yeah. I'm morbidly curious about true crime stuff. My wife is all about it. But she can't sit down to watch a horror movie for the life of her. She gets way too, she gets way too like grossed out by all of it. But these true life accounts of, um, you know, cult rapes and uh, bizarre ghastly murders and stuff. And she's into it. And I'm like, this is terrible. Like, why do you want to hear about these people that have been abused and uh, mutilated and. Yeah, th- that that doesn't appeal to me. One of my friends is the same exact way. She does not like horror movies at all. She refuses to go see them, but she has no problem listening to true crime podcasts, digging into serial killers. She is like an encyclopedia of serial killer knowledge. And I'm just <laughs> like, you don't like horror. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's 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 crazy. I did actually um, sort of breaking my rule a little bit. Um, I read uh, the comic book bio of Ed Gein. Mm. Um like last week uh so shout out to that it's really good okay um, yeah yeah I, I just i'm i'm a big fan of eric powell the artist and co-writer i, of didn't, it. I didn't know that they and, had uh, a they had a comic book of ed Gein's biography yeah it's god what is it called it's i think it's called did you hear what did you hear about eddie Gein or did you hear what eddie Gein did and okay. um it's written by Eric Powell who's famous for a book called The Goon and co-written by a true crime author who had written uh, like the definitive Oh, Ed Harold Schechter. Book. Yeah, 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 yeah. Did yeah. you hear yes. what Eddie Gein done? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Harold yeah. cuz Harold Schechter it was, it was wrote really a good. book about like him. I think he wrote a book about him. Oh, this is cool. Right. I hadn't heard of this before. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Eric Powell's probably I mean, you know, not to dunk on my artist or anything but i think eric powell might be the best interior comic artist of all time hell yeah you brought up uh comics how did you get interest how did you get introduced to like writing how did you get interested in in doing either writing for comic books or or just writing period right that's a good question um honestly i don't know <laughs> it's something that it's something that i i think i had wanted to do for a very long time um you know when i was in school and stuff i was always uh encouraged by teachers about my imagination mm. about my ability to tell a story um about my ability to think up things that you know just i i guess didn't 
occur or happen in, in real life. And so it was a mixture of that, like that kind of encouragement, you should be a writer. And um, also reading stuff that I didn't like and wanting to do better than that. And uh, as far as comics in general, I found comics at a very early age and was super obsessed with them and ducked in and out of being a comic book fan and uh, went through my not all comics have to be about superheroes renaissance at one point and, um, you know, just discovered a whole lot of amazing stuff and, and fell back into it. And then also realized that superhero comics can be done right. Like mm. they don't have to be commercials for action figures, you know, um, like you can tell amazing, uh, stories, you know, e even when dealing with spandex. So I went through a uh, very similar transformation where like, I didn't like comic books because I didn't want to, I was like, Oh, I have to read everything to know everything that's going on with Sp It's like mm -hmm. so daunting to get caught up with like Spider-Man and Superman. And then I kind of, this is so cheesy, but when the, the Christopher Nolan Batman movies came out, I was like, I want to read these comics and found out that there were one-off series that like, if you just knew who mm -hmm. Batman was, you could kind of read them and you didn't have to be well-versed. And that's so cool. Right. Like, yeah such a cool oh, there's so many cool comic books out there and i also just lo i love comic books that aren't superhero and there's so much out there that again i didn't know about until i found my local comic book store but there's some really cool right. stuff like yeah holy there's shit. Some really cool stuff <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm constantly in awe like what are some of your favorites right now that you're reading or have read that like really impressed you Ooh, uh that's a good question i'm i'm not reading a whole bunch of current stuff right now uh -huh. Uh, just because I'm reading stuff for inspiration. Yeah. I am sort of catching up on my Marvel right now. Mm. I'm going through, um, like the whole X-Men and associated X-Men stuff, um, uh, using Marvel Unlimited. So I think I'm like four or five months behind. Okay. Um, then I just relatively recently got into Junji Ito. So mm. I've been devouring his stuff. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I, I know. I, and I had friends for years telling me, oh, you need to read this Junji Ito stuff. And I, I, had, it, I it just was on my to-do list and I never got around to it. And now I'm mad at younger me for waiting that long. Uh, so that's really fantastic. And uh, you know what? I feel like I'm going to leave people out, but I've really been enjoying Barbaric uh, is, is a comic book that I'm enjoying. I just read the first couple issues of Ch Chicken Devil, oh. and that's really good. Huh. Um, it's kind of like a Breaking Bad type story, okay. is is the best way of putting it. It's like a guy that owns a hot chicken restaurant, and it becomes this like crime thing where he oh, goes yeah. on the lamb. Yeah, yeah, and he's like wearing the mascot outfit. It's cool. And I, I just relatively recently appeared on a podcast for uh, Chris Conan think that's his name and he's the writer of that texas blood and so i read that and that is really really good cool hell yeah oh i love finding new comics but yeah, so, me well, too. we're talking about comics you have a comic yes tell, i have a comic. tell us about your comic what is your comic what's okay. it about uh yeah so um this first book is called swamp dogs house of crows mm -hmm. And so the Swamp Dogs are the titular characters, and uh, they are voodoo-powered undead Confederate soldiers. Hell yeah. <laughs> and so, so House of Crows is about a lesbian couple 
and a goofy stoner metal band versus these voodoo-powered undead Confederate soldiers. Hell and yeah. we have a play out. Um, the, the goal between my co-writer and I was always to make this first five-issue miniseries seem like an old-school grindhouse horror movie meets 80s horror okay. and, and have it play exactly like a movie. So it does. <laughs> that the beats are exactly <laughs> exactly like a movie. One of the things that like really jumped out at me when I was when I was reading the comic uh, is the I love the the art style, particularly of the the monsters. And there's the moments of like the horror aspect of it reminds me a lot of some of the the kind of covers I would see of EC Comics. Uh, like the, there's something about the the design. Like there's there's a moment in the first issue where um, a man comes across like the the, the boneyard, and there's like a, <laughs> a close up on his face, and he, he looks like he could have fit in one of those EC comics. And I just I love that that kind of arc. It brings me back some little bit of nostalgia, but in a in a way that feels modern. Oh, totally. Yeah. Um, Cooper Ball, our artist, who's also working on a Vampirella book, uh, oh. so he can do pretty women and gore. And I found him because he had done an Army of Darkness post-apocalyptic book. Oh, wow. and so I was like, I want this guy to be my artist. Um, He's really good at doing all of that, and he's really good at designing characters, honestly, because uh, his direction for that guy that you're talking about is Homeless Drifter. Mm. And Cuber's Brazilian, so his version of Homeless Drifter is a lot different than mine. Um, and, you know, I wanted to give photo references for everybody because I'm a, a control freak that way, um, but I didn't for this one. And maybe I should have, but I'm really happy with what he came up with. Yeah, there's a lot of character behind it. Yeah, yeah, there there really is. Like, um, you know, definitely um speaking of horror movies and stuff, um, I wanted to sort of pay homage to Killer Clowns from Outer Space, which is one of the first times that I was terrified as a kid. Um and so uh the the whole homeless drifter with a dog mm. and unwittingly like stumbling in looking after his dog, uh, was from Killer Clowns. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. I can see that. Yeah. <laughs> what other movies did you kind of look to, and even comics, for inspiration as you were writing this and giving kind of guidance on the art style? So um, the book actually started out as a movie pitch. Um, oh. I had been put in touch with a guy who knew the producers for the Halloween franchise. Okay. And he was like a budding filmmaker at the time. And so he was being asked to pitch horror movies. And so he came to me, he's like, Oh, JM, you're the horror guy. So uh, do a pitch. And I wanted to remake um, Tombs of the Blind Dead, the 1970s mm -hmm. horror movie, uh, but update the premise and update the setting to, um, at the time, Hurricane Katrina was just like a few years old. And so New Orleans was rebuilding. And so I thought doing that in like a hurricane ravaged New Orleans would be awesome. And uh, so <sighs> it was going to be like picture for picture, it, it, like almost like Gus Van Sant's Psycho, right? Like almost like shot for shot, a remake of Tombs of the Blind Dead. And uh, so that's that's kind of. Uh, how it started out and so that would be the main inspiration cool um but uh lots of movies uh sugar hill uh serpent in the rainbow you know mm. all the voodoo sort yeah. of horror movies that are out there evil dead 2 has a lot to do with it um i 
reference Sutter Kane in issue two. So in the Mouth of Madness, uh, plays a, a little bit into my brand of horror. You know, kind of just like it's it's a. I liked saying that I've put all my horror influences in a blender and <laughs> spilled it onto the page. Uh, you know, it's it's got like the the dreadful hillbilly warning uh sequence and it's got mutilated animals like the 70s italian movies you know just everything uh but but definitely fulci is a, is a big influence wow. also yeah. i could see that yeah that's awesome <laughs> and so okay so this is this is house of crows but do you have more swamp dogs things coming up that you're working on that's the plan okay. yeah so so the idea is at least right now having two ongoing series that spin out of this like basically okay. house of crows is the horror movie that introduces people to the swamp dogs themselves um spoiler the bad guys win <laughs> like, <laughs> i i don't i don't i I can't picture a good story where it's like the good guys win in five issues against, you know, liches with voodoo powers. Uh, <laughs> right. So um, things don't go very well for the entire world mm. uh, with the Swamp Dogs. And, and so spinning out of that uh, is something called Pets Unleashed, uh, which is sort of like near future. And then post-apocalyptic is uh, War Pigs tentatively oh wow and so and so the whole goal is to write both of those at the same time and have them come out at the same time and be ongoing series and then you know uh as people find out with swamp dogs 3 we have pretty elaborate backstories for all the villains and so going back and doing like a one shot or a main mm. series about any one of the characters is oh. um, totally something we want to do cool um Okay, JM, we talked about your horror history and your creative projects, but um, what movie did you bring with you today for us to discuss? <laughs> yes, yeah, let's get to the meat, huh? Um, I brought uh, John Carpenter's 1982 masterpiece, The Thing. Yes, so um, we'll do a quick synopsis. Uh, a research team in Antarctica is haunted by a shape-shifting alien that assumes the appearance of its victims. Bum, bum, bum. Bum, bum, bum. Okay, so JM, take us back. When did you see this movie? How did you see this movie? Why is it your scar for life, pig? Give us your horror story. <laughs> okay, uh, horror story. Yes, so um, my mother went into labor with me watching the thing in the movie theater. What? Like in July of 1982. Yeah, she was in the theater and went into labor with me and got terrified that she was the thing and oh my uh, god yeah and and so the rest is history and so that was always sort of a running joke in the family is like oh jm he's the thing right <laughs> you know like and so they would talk about it um but they didn't want to say too much because it's a fucking terrifying movie full of horrible shit that children should never be exposed to and so they didn't want to say anything about it other than like oh yeah like the thing it was about aliens being inside of people and uh so that's that's the the joke so um it had these really ominous overtones for me growing up because you know it was sort of this 
taboo subject that they would always bring up over and over again and joke about over and over again. <laughs> and so when I was finally old enough, I, I don't know if it was them that showed it to me or me that watched it on my own and finally felt like, okay, let's see what it is that they're talking about. But yeah, I, I finally watched it and it was so much more frightening than I thought any horror movie could be. And to this day is uh, one of the top three most frightening horror movies I've ever seen, I think. And I grew up watching uh, Big Trouble in Little China mm. on repeat, mm -hmm. um, but didn't really watch like all that much more of Kurt Russell or John Carpenter, for that matter. Uh, never really got into like The Escape from New York or L.A. or, you know, either either of those. And so just seeing Kurt Russell and John Carpenter in this different light was just eye opening for me, too. How old Do you remember you? how old you? Oh. One grade cell, Terry. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, you know, I want to say I was probably 10 or 11 okay. when I saw it. Yeah. Were there specific things that you remember, like, really, really terrible? I mean, there, there's so many th moments in this movie. That <laughs> yeah, I, that there's so be. many things. <laughs> but was it, like, um, the special I, effects that, that got you, or? Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, it's it's so much of everything, mm. right? Like, you know, I have a, a, a real place in my heart for John Carpenter and his movies, but if I'm being honest about, like, directorial skill, it's almost like he had one of those, um, do, have you guys seen the comedy Old School? Yeah. Like, okay, so do you know the moment where they're trying to get their fraternity, uh, uh like, uh, legalized, and Will Ferrell goes up for the speech and debate and just kind of blacks out and has a fugue state and just does the, the best oration speech mm -hmm. of all time. I kind of feel like that is John Carpenter's fugue moment because mm -hmm. like as much as I enjoy his movies, this is on a whole other level of directing and editing and everything that he just never hit ever again. So Everything about this movie is scary. The music is scary. The cinematography is scary. The pacing is scary. The setting is scary. Um, the special effects are beyond scary. Um, but I, I think as a kid, uh, for me, what it was, was there were all these horror movies that I had seen mm -hmm. and based on budget or based on imagination limits or wanting to stay under a certain rating they never went all the way there in air quotes the thing went there and it went beyond and so every time you thought that they were going to pull away or pull some punches or cut to a shadow of something they didn't and the special effects rose to the occasion of allowing them to go there and i think that's what really did it for me was just like the most twisted fucked up shit that you could think of about aliens uh exist and and you know just refreshing myself for this podcast i was watching it and i still got gotten by the autopsy or sorry not the autopsy but the paddles moment like the yes. pacing of that paddles moment is phenomenal like it, it will never not be scary. <laughs> That's so funny because in, in the notes, I wanted to talk. I like said this is a perfect movie, and how I've seen this movie. So this is one of my all-time favorite movies. Of like, I have mm -hmm. the poster, I have a shirt, I have a tattoo yeah. of the thing. Like this movie is like, I'm, oh, you do? Oh, yeah. Wow. Um, That's awesome. But 
that scene will always get me, no matter how many times I've seen it. It is a perfect scare moment. I, it's just incredible. It really is. It's wild. And just like, because they go all in with like how the stomach rips open and you see the teeth, like the teeth, and it's just. <laughs> it bites oh. off his arms and he oh. lifts his arms up and it stubs and right so and that, good. Yeah. that moment is is perfect and so is the moment that always <laughs> gets me honestly is the uh petri dishes of blood that like explode yes. i'm yeah. always i've seen this movie not as many times as probably either of you and we'll get to that in a moment <laughs> every time i watch this movie i'm always surprised at who it ends up being for some reason like whichever blood right. one i'm always like I'm always on edge. And I'm like, I've seen this movie. I know how it's going right. to end. And every single time I'm like, oh my God, is it going to be this moment? And it always surprises me. It's like, which one is it again? Is it, is mm -hmm. it Nolls? It's Nolls, yeah. right? It's Nolls. No, it's not Nolls. Yeah. Yeah. Every time. <laughs> every time. Yeah. No, I agree. And, and there's so much that I forget between viewings of this movie. And I do watch it fairly regularly. And, um, it, it's just this constant wellspring of, inspiration and uh surprise for me yeah it's yeah <laughs> it's it's a perfect movie it's, it's a perfect a horror perfect movie. horror movie i've seen it so many times i've seen it multiple times in theaters like i so i first saw this movie when i was 19 was i 19 okay i have a very very vivid memory of the first time i watched this because i was visiting my parents they had just moved to california like where you're from the east coast they just moved across the country it was spring break my fresh, my sophomore year of college, my now fiance was coming out to meet my parents for the first time, and he came with me out to California. And uh, one of the nights, like during that visit, we watched the thing with my stepdad, and like him and my stepdad were like, "Oh, the thing is so good," and I watched it with them, and I was so fucking freaked out afterward because I was just like <laughs> sweating, and it everything about it freaked mm -hmm. me out. Just like the end, I just felt so tense, and the worst part was that so we had we had a dog her name was fern she was a big hound dog she followed me to bed and sat on my bed and just stared me in the eye for like oh no and i texted a picture because it was like early days of dating so steve had to stay downstairs on the couch while i slept upstairs and i sent right. him a picture yeah. and i was like why is she staring at me like this she never and like she had never done that before and she was just sitting there and staring <laughs> at me and i was like holy shit Holy well, shit. Well, she watched the movie with you yeah. and just wanted to fuck was, with you. I swear to so, God. But what I'm hearing, Mary Beth, is that you could actually be the thing. And this is a long con. That's oh, what I'm yeah. hearing. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> I never but know. It, like that, and then so since then, that movie has been like, my fiance and I will just put it on. Like, hey, do you want to watch a movie? Let's just put on the thing. Christmas time. Always want to watch the thing. Every time it snows. Let's watch the thing. Um... Mm -hmm. We've seen it on the big screen a couple times. It's just like a perfect movie. Sounds like a comfort watch for you. It too. is a comfort watch. And it's like, I know what's going to happen, but I don't. At the, like you said this very, like a similar thing, Jam. Like I know what's going to happen, but it's a movie that I have a hard time putting on in the background because I always want to pay attention to it. Because like, I want to know right. what's going to happen. I want to see those moments. I want to like watch that opening scene with the dog and like that incredible helicopter shot of the of the mm. dog just running across the snow with the Aneo Morricone soundtrack just going boom boom like just it's yeah. it's so it seems so simple but it is so complicated and i know that sounds so cheesy but it like it is like a very simple looking thing but it's so effective in establishing how isolated everybody is well it grabs you from right. the very beginning though too yeah 
Yeah. Because you're like, what really is going does. on? Why are they chasing after this dog? Why are they trying to firebomb <laughs> and blow up this fucking dog? Like it, yeah. just like you have so many questions immediately. And like you don't waste mm-hmm. time trying to like get to know the guys before the dog shows up. It's like immediately about the dog. It's like, it's, we'll get to know these guys as it goes along. We'll, and that's like every, every character is a really good character despite not having a ton of content. Like you get, we just jump right in. We're not trying to like establish who these characters are before the alien. It's like, We'll just use the alien as character development for a really interesting right. movie about masculinity, too. Like, in yes. a way that <laughs> I think about more often now, but how it's like this really interesting look at male spaces and power dynamics between men and then how they change in the face of danger. And it's just fascinating to like look at this movie now and think about, I don't know if carpenter knew what he was doing with those dynamics but it was it's fascinating to watch it now and see these relationships between men and like this kind of toxic masculinity thing going on about who's in charge and who's not and who's being like questioned into oh it's just so it's so cool (laughs) (laughs) yeah i I, no i i genuinely believe that like he had an idea of going deep with it and and that uh the most capable leader isn't always the best leader and you know yeah. uh, that yeah. that sort of dynamic and really wilford brimley was probably the most right but went about it in the most shitty way and um you know and and mccready for all his good leadership skills um also just like messed up a lot like they, there were a lot of moments where he was just doing the wrong thing or the right thing in the wrong way i want to circle and, back uh, on that a little bit later too because yeah okay I have sure <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. i definitely want to um, like but, put a pin in that <laughs> yeah okay um but yeah no you're right masculinity is is a, a big big thing with it too and um the isolation and um just different philosophies of life and and how to live and uh w- one of the things like you're talking about the intro grabbing you i always 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 forget that it starts with an actual f- like footage of a spaceship mm. flying yeah. through mm. space i just totally like me too that always, always exits my mind when i watch it <laughs> i always think too. it opens up with the dogs yeah i i feel like it opens up with the dogs and then nope it, and uh, uh w- one of the things about like the character development you mentioned this and and i want to get this point across is i realized that it's a stealth roll call movie i'm really into roll call movies where you know you just have a roster of characters and it's like this is who they are and this is why they're cool and this is you know what's up um it might be the best stealth roll call movie of all time i could see that yeah because oh. i'm thinking about how like the characters are all introduced and they have like a thing it is definitely mm-hmm. feels like a yeah. Well, so what I think, what I think like is pulling a lot of people back to this movie is that I think there are different ways you can read this film. And I think that there's a okay. lot of different like themes behind it that you could explore. Cause obviously, Mary Beth, you're talking about the, the idea of the masculinity aspect of it. You could look at it as the kind of Cold War fears. I mean, at one point, McCready is literally holding up a flare saying, you kill me, I'm blowing everyone up. Like that mutually assured destruction that was like a, a fear of the nuclear holocaust was going to happen from the Cold War. Right. Like you could see that and how it kind of fosters that paranoia and fear, particularly of nationalism and the fear of the other, because you don't know, could one of these people 
people be bad? Could could it be a Russian operative sneaking in? Like that is the yep. that was the fear that was big at that time, and it was also inherent in the story because when right. The original short story was being written. It was sort of about like uh, the fears of like the Red Scare and that kind of McCarthyism and that that aspect of it. So I think there's like that aspect of it that you could explore. But I also think what I was watching it uh, for the podcast, I was really cluing in on the fact that this also kind of an AIDS metaphor here in terms oh. of like the yeah. – that you could be infected and no one would know and you could pass it on to someone. There's the idea of like you have a group of completely uh, comprised of men and the idea that the, cause like AIDS, particularly when this movie was coming out, it was like the eight, it was like the gay cancer is what it was being referred to. Right. And there's yeah. also the fear that could it trans be transmitted to me as a straight person, that aspect of it. There's the, the idea of testing the blood, which impure blood is a theme that gets addressed a lot in movies that have a sort of a queer AIDS subtext, particularly in the eighties. You would see that in like things like the one that really jumps out to me is near dark, the vampire movie, because that's mm -hmm. all about like blood and being impure blood and the vampirism is being like a metaphor for, for AIDS and in a way. Uh, so like I, I I'm watch I'm seeing that now and I'm like seeing all this sort of like fear of like either like the homosexuality or also of like AIDS kind of manifesting in this in this small group which was coming out at the perfect time for that to be a a fear that a lot of people seem to to have unfortunately yeah a hundred percent so I know that I'm wearing headphones but can you see my ears bleeding because <laughs> you just blew my mind <laughs> I've never once thought about it as an AIDS uh, corollary and and you're totally right. It's, yeah, I'm, I'm stunned. <laughs> I'm I, stunned and speechless. I, I don't know. Recently, I've been like looking back at like a lot of films from like the 80s and 90s that, that touch on that. Like I'm, I'm a very, very big, I could go on a whole dissertation about how Alien 3 is, is about AIDS. Like I could like <laughs> dig so deep into the movies that are about, about like either the fear of like homosexuality or the fear of like the AIDS pandemic happening at that time because, whether people know it or whether they were, it was like subtext that, or they didn't even know that they were doing it. There's a lot of that. Right. I think that's bleeding into films, particularly in the, totally. in the eighties and sometimes into the early nineties, but yeah. yeah, that's a whole other story <laughs> that I could go right. down a rabbit hole on, but there's also like cosmic horror. Like this movie is all about that kind of cosmic sense of horror. It's this unknowable thing that you look at it and it does not resemble anything that, that you could ever ex experience. Cause I, when I first saw this movie, that was bringing back to when I first saw it, I was probably in college when I saw it and I don't have any like real firm memories of it, but I do remember that I was in college because I wasn't a huge fan of Carpenter films. I'm going to be perfectly honest. When I was a kid, I had remember seeing Halloween, which uh, as a young kid, I thought was boring. I have a far more appreciation for it now, but as a kid, I was bored by it. I hated his Christine when I was a kid because it was completely different than the book from what I remember as being a kid. Like, and that is, that is, that is a thing that young Terry was so upset. If any movie was like, that was adapt, adapting like Stephen King books was not, accurate to the book. I was so angry at it. So I saw those. <laughs> I did like Big Trouble in Little China as a kid, but that was because of the magic and the fantasy aspect of it. But for the most part, I was not a Carpenter fan. And it wasn't until college when I got like a shitty VHS tape from like Blockbuster or something, the kind that had been played so many times that it's like staticky and, you know, it looks really shitty. And I think that actually kind of enhanced my watching of it because as good as the, the effects look, and I think they, they hold up today, I was watching it in 4K, you know, because, like, <laughs> that's what we live in. Like, but at that time, it gave it sort of, like, that sort of dangerous quality because you 
it right. kind of, I think, even more hid some of the maybe imperfections and the seams that might show mm-hmm. and gave it that sort of dangerous quality that I also had with a couple other movies that I'm hoping that I'll be able to talk to with some on the podcast eventually. But <laughs> but this movie, that is what I remember of it. I remember watching on a shitty VHS and being like, this is not how aliens are. And that's what like really this movie and alien for that, for that matter, like shocked me when I first saw it because it's not what we typically see as like an alien. And I think that kind of bleeds into the cosmic Torah aspect of it where it's like, this is unknowable. This is something that if you saw this thing, if you saw a dog split in half and this thing's birthing (laughs) out of it, or you saw like spiders come out of a man's head, like a spider legs and it starts to like walk with antennas. I think you'd go insane. Like there's no way that you would be able to like rationally contextualize what you were seeing. And I think this movie takes the sort of like cosmic horror, HP Lovecraft, that kind of aspect of it and really sells it in a way that you don't see a lot in movies. Oh, I I agree. I mean, as far as Lovecraftian cosmic horror goes, it might be one, it might be the best representation of what actually makes it scary Mm -hmm. you know like the pacing of a lovecraft story or uh, the context of a a lovecraft story dwells on this sort of like unknowable unimaginable horror that will make you go insane right um but in a visual medium you have to depict it and uh, he depicts it and he depicts it really well he's not going with non-euclidean how how did Lovecraft describe yeah, it? Yeah, like no Euclidean geometry. <laughs> yeah, right, right. You know all, all these all these um, codes that that writers can do, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, when, when I write my own prose and it's not accompanied by comic panels, it's the same way. You use a lot of this like ineffable uh, uh, language to to describe something that can't be described. And they they did a phenomenal job of it, and and it, it begs the question: What do these aliens look like in their natural mm. form? Right? Like, is there a natural form? Like, are they just walking around as imitations of other stuff that they've you know all all, all the defense mechanisms that they have, the tendrils, the legs, were they co opted from other beings that they infected? in centuries past that that's what has like really recently fucked me up with this movie is like well they they were on a spaceship so they had to have some kind of form or consciousness so are they an alien that is just a consciousness or like a bacterial microbial thing that has a wire consciousness i don't know and it always messes with my head because you don't know and you kind of have to think about it but it's like what Mm -hmm. do they look like is there a form or is it something much more like weird and not unknowable and hard to understand in our own understanding of the universe and what it means to be like alive and a being right yeah well let 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 me do one more for you mary beth uh who says it was their ship what (laughs) now my ears are bleeding like true no i mean like if if they're taking (laughs) over people and and life forms what if they didn't have the technology, but they infected a civilization that did have the technology, rode one of those puppies down, and uh, decided to start plaguing some other planet? There might be nothing technological or intelligent about this species whatsoever, and it's just all predatory instinct to, to replicate. Wow. What the fuck? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I You know... 
uh, ascribing an intelligence to something evil like that scares me a little bit more than the mindlessness but for a lot of people this like you know just the animal instinct is is the scary thing right like that you can't reason with it because it doesn't have any intention it's just all pure animal will yeah yeah fuck Wow. Sorry. Uh, I was like, where do I go from there? <laughs> well, I, I do think that, To bed. <laughs> I do think Under that we need to exactly, yeah, where the dog is staring at you. <laughs> I do think that you know, with the effects and stuff, we do need to give a shout out to uh Rob Botton. The, the Oh my god, yeah. Who I believe, if I did the math correctly, was twenty two when he did this movie oh this shit oh, no. movie. so so you're telling me my life is a sham <laughs> yes because like I, I don't think at 82 i'm gonna be able to do anything as great as that i know 22 and i mean by 22 you know he had worked on king kong he worked on a star wars he worked on piranha the fog airplane the howling and then the thing at 20 at 22 he's doing the thing I'm like, are you kidding me right now? Yeah. And the, the effects are so good. And like I said, I do think, you know, if, if you're looking at it critically now, you can see some of the, you know, maybe some seams behind it. But I think I think these hold up better considering this was from like, what, 40 years ago? 40 yeah. years ago, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. I turned 40 this year. So, yes. Yeah. And I'm turn- I turned 41 this year. So, yeah, 40, 40 <laughs> years ago, the if you look at it. With forty years distance, it's held up much better than some of the CGI that have that came out in like the early two oh, thousands. Yeah. I'm oh, yeah. immediately thinking of the the Scorpion King, like <laughs> the horrible <laughs> CG there. Like the practical effects, forty years later, I think are still holding up because it is it is real. It is there. It has presence in a way that mm-hmm. a lot of like I'm I'm very anti CG. I I think that it's good to like uh, add to things. But I mm-hmm. think if you are making something that is completely CG, which brings me to the Thing remake, which originally <laughs> was going to be visual effects, like practical effects, and the studio got freaked out and painted over them with CG. Really? It's so fucking ridiculous. Okay. It's so very I big. didn't know that. Yes, there's like there's scenes out on YouTube of the the practical effects work that they had filmed with the studios like no, and it's really good. And it's so frustrating that that is that got painted over because they're like, oh, this is this doesn't look good. We need to just completely bleed it over with with CG, and that uh, annoys the shit out of me. But I that's, that's why I think shame. these these effects live up so well because they have presence. Right, I agree. Okay, so I've been I've been really scared to go and watch the remake, or is it? It's a it's a, it's a prequel. It's a it's pre- a prequel. Yeah. Prequel, right? Okay. Is it good? I mean, d- despite the fact that it uses CG, is it? Is it? I haven't seen it since the movie theater. I remember okay. being pleasantly surprised at okay. how decent it was. <laughs> uh huh. But I was re- I really hated the CG effects, and then when I found out years later that they had done it with practical effects, I really would like to have seen that movie with out any of the CG or just CG enhancements. But I, I remember right. it, it literally bleeds into this movie. Like I, if I remember correctly, the last shot of that movie is them chasing the dog across the. Yeah. Well, it, it's a, it's a, it's about the Norwegian mm-hmm. team, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
which I think is brilliant. Like if, yeah. if I were making a, a movie sequel prequel to the thing, like that's where I would go with it too. Yeah. From, from a crook that hits a lot of like same beats though, unfortunately. So like mm-hmm. com- bringing comparisons to the original is, is, um, it's, it, you're going to do it because there are some things that are almost like we, we should redo this kind of feel to it. Right. So there's like right. that aspect of it that I don't think you're yeah. going to compare it to the original and you're going to find the original superior. You know what I mean? Right. In that right. regard. But oh, did, totally. did, you, did you see it, Mary Beth? I didn't. I know a lot about it, but I haven't seen it because I, well, I, I think that just goes like to show how perfect a movie the thing is in the first place, right? Because, I mean, he really hit home what it would be like for a team of isolated, intelligent people to confront this unknowable horror from beyond the stars. Mm-hmm. And so, like, it doesn't matter if it's an American team or a Norwegian team, like, it's going to be the same sort of dynamic unless they're all idiots then then you could have different beats if they were all dumb then you know like it could have different beats but otherwise it's going to play out more or less the same way mm-hmm. like maybe one person doesn't go off the deep end and trash everything you know to to make contact with the outside world but um you know otherwise uh, yeah like that's how i would react probably that's how any any one of the three of us would react Except Mary Beth, because she's already the thing. Yeah. Something I did want to talk about is that, you know, we're talking about how much we love this movie and how incredible it is, but its reception when it was released was fucking terrible. And I actually didn't know this, I think, until today when I was doing some research that this came out and got terrible reviews. Like, really? It was apparently deemed the most hated movie of all time by a film magazine called uh, Cinema Fantastique. And like people were saying it wow. was just trash, it was too gore, it was gory, it was an I think what is it? Uh the thing from another world director, Christian Nyby, said it was if you want blood, go to the slaughterhouse. All in all, it's a terrific commercial for J and B Scotch. Uh it was called the quintessential moron movie of the eighties. Wretched excess. <laughs> it's terrible. And so Two reasons for this that people cite are, one, it was in competition with E.T., I believe, Mm -hmm. um, which was a much different alien movie. And that one had much more (laughs) hope and was much more family-friendly, while this one was too nihilistic, especially for the time period. Mm. The nihilism, particularly compared to E.T., people really didn't like it and thought it was Mm -hmm. just trash. And it's, you know, it's been reappraised, obviously, but John Carpenter said in 2008, I take every failure hard. The one I took the hardest was the thing. My career would have been different if it had been a big hit, but the movie was hated, even by sci-fi fans. They thought I had betrayed some kind of trust, and the piling on was insane. Even the original director, the original movie's director, Christian Nyby, was dissing me. Like, this poor guy went through hell in 1982, and now we're all like, I've lit like, everything of the thing all over me, and like obsessed with yeah. it. But people back then were like, it's fucking terrible movie which is insane to me yeah that's yeah it's unthinkable i you know it it, sorry no go go, please go (laughs) okay um i i was gonna say it's almost like the nihilism is a holdover from the 70s films like Mm -hmm. the scorsese stuff and uh you know even uh, i guess that's the 80s deer hunter and everything like it has that sort of modern uh, american uh, golden age of film sort of vibe to it and and you're right like uh et was in the theaters at the same mm-hmm. time and everybody wanted to pretend that n- not everything had to be taxi driver uh, right but uh 
Yeah, so I, I guess that makes sense. Honestly, I want to see a crossover between the two of them. I want to <gasps> see like an E.T. meets the thing. Oh my god. E.T. is the thing, but he's the mul- he is the benevolent yeah. version of it. Crossover event <laughs> that we need. <laughs> yeah, well, he does the finger thing with Elliot and then like spider, like uh, tendrils come out of his finger and he eats eat Elliot. the kid. Elliot. I'm here for it. I'm here for that. Sorry, I, I totally interrupted you. To- no, what I was just one of the things that really surprised me when one of the reviews was actually in Starlog, which is a science fiction magazine, and said, "quote John Carpenter's The Thing smells and smells pretty bad. It has no pace, sloppy continuity, <laughs> zero humor, bland characters, on top of being totally devoid of warmth or humanity." It's my contention that John Carpenter was never meant to direct a science fiction horror movie. Here's some things he'd be better suited to direct. Traffic accidents, train wrecks, and public floggings. In Starlog, that is the review. Are they watching the same movie? That's what I have to ask. (laughs) Like, (laughs) the pacing is bad for a horror movie? This movie is perfectly paced. It does not waste a single second. No. And it's a two-hour movie, but it doesn't waste a single second. Right. I just... Somehow it manages to encapsulate, like, the claustrophobia Mm. of being in a station together, but also the wilderness and the expanse of the Antarctic region Mm. at the same time. Yeah. What are these people smoking? And uh, how can I avoid it? (laughs) (laughs) Seriously. But, like... In talking about this kind of, the way the thing was received, like, what the hell movie is going to have this kind of reception, like, that we've seen that we're like, this is terrible, and it's going to make, like, I'm, I'm so curious what, like, the cinema landscape and, like, the classics are going to be in, like, 30 years when we're, when we're older. Okay. Like, isn't that wild to think can, about? Can I, can I post a contender? Yes. My number one contender for the movie that was panned the most that I think will be beloved and viewed as a film classic from here till eternity is uh, Flying Lotus. The musician directed a movie called Kuso okay. that prompted walkouts at Cannes or at one of the film festivals, like one of the main film festivals. It was screening there. It's on, it's a Shudder exclusive. Yes. Like Shudder obtained it exclusively. It is so good. It's really, really smart. It's, you know, oh. I don't agree with every single decision, but I wrote a movie review of it and I really think that eventually it'll wind up in sort of libra- Library of Congress type territory. Huh. I've actually never seen it. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, you should. I, <laughs> you should. I you should be. Get, you should get ready to be grossed out because it grosses <laughs> out me. That's what I've heard. It's pretty. I've heard it's gnarly. Yeah. Well, you know. I mean, at the time he was like very much in the Adult Swim crowd. Yeah. And, and mm-hmm. the the Tim and Eric type crowd. And so there's a lot of that. Uh, meets David Lynch. Meets. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's 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 Cronenberg, Lynch, and Adult Swim. All in one cringy, really interesting horror movie. Huh. Well, I, I so. mean, you're saying that it, it grosses out people, but that's that's pretty much like the reception to this movie. I do think this movie came out at the wrong time. Like, I feel yeah. like if this movie came out maybe five years later, it would have been like a critical smash. Because I think once we got into the 80s uh, and we, we had like a lot of the visual effects, there's a lot of really goopy shit that was happening in the yeah. 80s that I think yeah, this movie true. like... Just 
was it released too soon, I guess. Well, yeah. I mean, something had to start it, right? Yeah. I mean, this this could arguably be the, the thing that brought over sort of that Italian splatter yeah. sentiment to oh, American horror. Yeah. Carpenter's a student of the game, definitely. Yeah. You know. Huh. Okay, so I did want to go back to uh, your point about maybe McCre- McCready was the <laughs> worst person to be in charge. To be fair, I didn't say that. No, I know. But I'm just, I, <laughs> I want to go back to that. I, <laughs> Terry is. Because here's my question. At the end, were any of them the thing? What are your thoughts? Oh, oh my God. Because I have a thought. And I'm I want, very so excited I want to hear, to hear your yours. thought. Because you've been, you've, been, you've been teasing this conversation. I've been wanting to talk about this ever since we were originally going to record. So, uh, But I got to know, do, you, do either of you think any of, either of those two were the thing by the end? <laughs> Well, it, it makes me want to go back to like my philosophy education and Pascal's wager. Or, sorry, the yeah, Pascal's wager. I think it was called, where you make that like box to prove that God exists, oh. and you do the pros and cons. I like, I like not knowing. I like the Schrodinger's cat mm, approach, mm-hmm. where they like the only the only thing that I can definitively say is they're not both the thing. Right. Yeah. That's the only thing that we know because otherwise they'd be talking to each other in like T Rex howls. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine an ending to the movie where they're just like? Honestly, though, just, like, I would be like, "Yeah, that's the perfect way to end this fucking movie. Like, that's incredible." No, no, that's how the remake ends. No, I'm kidding. I oh, wish. I wish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. I, I mean, I, I want to say that he. I want to say that John Carpenter doesn't even think one way or the other about it and that he wanted to keep everybody hanging and uh i'm perfectly content to be the hanging what about you maria beth um so i i don't think either of them are the thing okay i've thought about this a lot and i've waffled back and forth like i you know i always like oh it's definitely <laughs> child's and then, like, and then I ta- I interviewed Keith David, and he said he wasn't, which I mean, no, I know means nothing, but like hearing that from him, I was like, right. well, I'm gonna have to take this into account because he played the character. <laughs> uh-huh. But um, <laughs> I don't think either of them are. I think it's just like a fucked fucked up thing where they both just kind of freeze or get burned to death in the out there. Terry, I want to, no, but now I need to hear what you think. <laughs> I'm very yeah. excited. Well, here's the thing. It ultimately doesn't really matter, like like you both are kind of saying, because the the idea is regardless of whether any of them are, the thing has already won. They don't yeah. dis- they tr- distrust each other, and they're basically going to sit there until they freeze to death. Like that is, it's a nihilistic ending. Fear has won, paranoia has won, the Cold War is over, and we both lost. Like yeah. that is that is kind of the the way this movie ends, and so it doesn't really matter who the thing is. But McCready is the thing, and oh, this is why. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> okay. It doesn't matter what. This is why. <laughs> so I, I, th- I thought about this the last time I was watching this because, all right, there's the scene, the kind of iconic scene where he is sitting there and he's talking to his like tape recorder, right? And he says, mm-hmm. nobody trusts anybody now. Or we're all very tired. That speech, right? Yeah. Well, before he talks about that, he's like, he's, I'm going to make this recording and I'm going to bury it and no one will find it. Because he thinks that he can trust himself. Well, at that moment, I don't know if this is like a goof or if this is intentional, but the door behind him starts to close as if there's something mm. hiding behind the door. Oh, interesting. Mm. I've never caught that before. Is that before or after he tests his blood, though? I'm going to get to that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> so that happens. And then they find his jacket, right? And there's the there's the original thing where it's like, you know, it must burst out of his clothes. Then they find the jacket of McCready. Mm-hmm. All right. So you could think that like someone is trying to make people believe that it's McCready and throw the scent off. However, when McCready <laughs> stands there and he's ready to blow up everything, it is mutually sure destruction as a way of like trying to make people believe that he is actually a good person, that he is not the thing. Because if he thinks that if he is the thing, he's not going to want to kill himself. And he thinks that's going to stop it. It doesn't. But what does <laughs> is the guy having a heart attack who ends up being the thing. Because the thing is doing that kind of, as long as one of us can get out, we're going to be okay. And so the person does the heart attack. He gets the thing ch- chopped into him. All of a sudden, people are like a little bit less suspicious of McCready. And then he does the blood test. And throughout this, before that, people are saying, we don't even know if this blood test is going to work. And we have no reason right. to believe that this blood test is going to work. So what does it do? Right. One of the blood explodes. Why does one of the blood explode? Because if that person it's is the thing. It's a red herring. Then it's a red herring. And no one's going to believe the McCready because his thing is singed. Everyone else's is singed. And they could, who knows how many of them could be the thing. Because I don't think the blood test meant anything. And it was another well, way of throwing devious. off. The, the people from focusing on McCready. Right. Wait, okay. but then why did it explode? Then why did the blood explode? As it, to, because the thing is, is, is sentient. I think the thing is sentient and it knows. Okay. Oh, it knows when to explode. Oh, 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 oh. I'm going to do this yeah. so that people know that McCready can't possibly be the thing because uh, it didn't do anything to him. Interesting. It's, it's like a Spanakopita or a Baklava of a movie, isn't it? Just yes. layers upon layers. And there's two other things I want to bring up. Oh, my God. <laughs> there's two moments. One, I've thought about this a whole lot since we originally were going to record. One is that, is it Fuchs? 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 Is that his name? Fuchs. 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 He mentions that everyone should prepare their own meals because a sliver of this thing could infect someone. Uh So he's saying that we need to eat out of cans. We need to not eat together. So there's that point. And then the second point is McCready says that this thing wants to just be frozen again, wait out until rescue, and continue its assimilation of Earth. Those two things figure into the finale because what happens? McCready is drinking his scotch and he hands it over to Childs. And after Childs drinks it, which again, a sliver of this thing could infect someone. And McCready was just drinking from it, hands it over to Childs and then laughs when Childs takes a drink. There's that. And what does he do? What does he say? He's like... I guess we should just wait out and see what's going to happen. Why does he want to do that? Because he's going to freeze himself and be rescued because he is the thing. <laughs> okay. And and see here <laughs> I, I I view it as I view it as a happy ending. Oh. Because I believe that it's not ideal conditions for the thing freezing itself and I don't actually think the thing wants to freeze itself again and just wait until rescue. Um I think the thing loses because it's cut off from the rest of the world and is going to die out and it dies with Childs and McCready, regardless of whether one of them is it or not. But it did survive uh, in the snow until they uh, dug it up and then the regions dug it up and then it affected them. Right, but but inside the spaceship, right? <laughs> no, it crawled out. They find because the, there's the they find the spaceship, and then like a few hundred feet away from it, they find oh, the block of ice right. that they had taken out, and that's the thing that they had taken back to the camp. Okay, I I sit corrected. <laughs> like I said, I've thought so wow. much about this since we were going to talk about it, like oh, I don't know, months ago. Yeah. So there's my conspiracy theory deep dive that that Terry went a little crazy doing. 
Hell yeah. You, you have that, like, a uh, Charlie Day chart behind oh, yeah. you. Yeah, it's definitely it. like a, look at this chart, guys. <laughs> the conspiracy goes all the way to the top. Like, that is totally, yep. Yeah. So there you go. Okay. I, I like it. I like it. I, I like I like just theorizing about yeah, it. Yeah, me too. And I, I just really hope that, that nobody involved with it that, that actually had a hand in the decision making process has a resolved answer. Yeah. Either that or or I kinda hope that there was like a who shot Mr. Burns type mm. scenario <laughs> where they filmed multiple different possibilities and uh kept it a surprise and it wasn't us. it wasn't maggie at the very end <laughs> right <laughs> exactly yeah or like exactly. the clue or like clue where there's like so many different endings that they had filmed it could be this or it could be this or it could be this right. yeah no oh, i man I, I would pay so much money to watch like alternate versions of the ending of this oh me too <laughs> <laughs> but anyway i that's it doesn't really matter like I, it's fun to talk about it's fun to yeah. like think who it could be and like try to pinpoint things but ultimately i i it it's material right but well, i'm i'm glad that the the space in between us planning to originally record and <laughs> us actually recording afforded you all this like conspiracy nut uh time i'm it's very excited <laughs> i didn't know any of this so this is very fun to to know that this has just been sitting in terry's head for months Weeks, it's just whatever. been stewing, just it sprung it on you. It has. My board is like even more. It's like even more red lines drawing it. Yeah, it's, it's wow. just in- increased over the Incredible. last few months. <laughs> um, well, do we want to wrap this up and give uh, the thing our rating out of five? Sounds good to me. All right, Terry. Uh, well, speaking of um, exploding Petri dishes, <laughs> Terry, Terry, how many exploding Petri dishes out of five do you give the thing? Um, I give it one. Because there was only no, one. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was waiting for imagine, many reaction. No. Imagine. That would be so fun. I'm always hoping that one day it'll be real. Like, you'll be typing it up and then you'll be like, I actually hated it. <laughs> no, I, I, I think we've all said this. I'm pretty sure I know what everyone's rating is in this, to be perfectly honest. I, it's five. This movie, I think, is is perfect. It, it it captures the feeling of isolation, of paranoia, of the the idea that you you really can't trust the people you're around in some cases. Like, there's that, that fear that I think it taps into, that primal fear that we all have that maybe this person that, that we're living with doesn't have my best interest at heart. Like, there's that kind of primal aspect that I think it really taps into. There's so many different themes that I think this movie you could you could analyze this film through, and I think that makes it really special. The special effects are fantastic. I, it's five. Like, <laughs> just no beating around the bush for that. Give me five exploding petri dishes that are not real, like that are just you know <laughs> proving that McCready is is the is not the thing. Anyway, Mary Beth, what, what about you? How many exploding petri dishes? Obviously, gonna give it a five. This is. This is my all-time favorite movie. I can watch it anytime, all the time. I've seen it so many times. It's incredible. I have a tattoo of it. It's just everything to me. I love this movie so much. We've said it all, but this movie is just a masterpiece. Um, it will scare. It is. It will scare me no matter what. It is so beautifully done. Uh, and also didn't mention this, but my friend did a hilarious Kurt Russell costume for this movie in the middle of the summer, and he wore a full, uh, he had a Jane B. Scotch in a full snowsuit, and I, like, over, as the night per- went forward, he stripped off pieces because he was sweating his ass off in my house, <laughs> didn't have air conditioning. Um, so nice. this movie is just, like, a part of every, uh, Steve and I say, somebody got to the blood, 
all the time. All-time favorite line of any movie <laughs> when they find the blood is gone. It's just like, this movie is just like a part of my brain, and it is incredible. Um, nice. Did your friend have the hat? He did have the fucking hat. He had the fucking hat. Oh, nice. It was inc- and that was like, the he was like, I can't do this costume without the hat. He made a flamethrower out of cardboard that he had on his back. Like, it was incredible. <laughs> uh-huh. He had the hat, That's though. amazing. The best part. Oh, God, That's we didn't even fucking talk about the hat. That's it. That's that's hats. The best thing yeah. that ever happened to me. Um, it's a pretty good. Anyway, <laughs> JM, you have the final word. How many exploding petri dishes out of five do you give the thing? Uh, you know what? It's. Uh, I mean, it's like you said. It's. It might be the best horror movie ever made, and so um, it's it's five. It's it's infinity petri dishes it's just forever. <laughs> Lovecraftian amount of petri dishes. Just <laughs> yeah, it's a non-Euclidean amount of petri dishes. <laughs> Uh, I love that. Well, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us, JM, to talk about this movie and allowing me to go off on my crazy tangents. Where can listeners find you? And what do you have that you'd like to share? Okay, so uh, what I would like to share is issue two, as of the recording of this podcast, is out in stores, Swamp Dog's House of Crows, from Black Caravan and Scout Comics. Uh, issue three will be released tentatively April 27th. So as of right now, I think you can still kind of pre-order it with your local comic shop. Um, if you're having a hard time hunting it down, you can go to uh, swampdogscomic.com or scoutcomics.com, and uh, we have physical copies and digital copies. Um, you can find me at uh at m r j m b r a n d t on twitter that's uh mr j m brandt or at j dot m dot b r a n d t on instagram or at swamp dogs comic on instagram sweet and now's the perfect time to get caught up just in time for issue three to come out and we will have exactly. listeners will have all of this information in our show notes so you can go take a look at the comics out on uh the websites and all that kind of fun stuff perfect sounds good um so listeners you've heard from us but we want to hear from you what was your experience with the thing you can send us an email at scarred for life podcast at gmail.com or you can reach out to us directly on twitter i'm at mb mcandrews and i'm a gaily dreadful and of course don't forget to follow the podcast on twitter at scarred podcast and please don't forget to review rate and subscribe thank you to sean keller for our music thank you to eric power for our artwork thank you everyone for listening please stay safe out there but most importantly stay creepy and until next time powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right 
and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.